Got a pretty good looking group out there tonight. It's nice. Um, tonight we're going to be going through 1 Kings chapter 21. And uh, I'm going to give you a little treat. It's not going to be corn dogs. I'm sorry. Uh, not like the kid president video. Yeah, sorry. I don't have corn dogs for everybody. Um, but a little bit of dessert before the meal. And I'm going to give you the main point, the end of this text, so you kind of have an idea of where we're going with this. So can we put that up there for me? Let's it just the first slide. That wasn't the one I was looking for. The First Kings uh, 2.25. The first slide, Pete. Okay, I'll go to Kid President. <laughs> it's funny, right? <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to do that. I lied to you guys in church. I'm sorry. I'll get down here and I'll repent with you guys afterwards. But uh, instead of doing that, I'll just explain to you what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, we're talking about the relationship between King Ahab and Jezebel. And if you guys know anything about Jezebel, she's been giving Christian women a bad name for a really, really long time. Um, this story is about Ahab um, going and trying to buy a vineyard. And he goes to this guy and he says, man, I want that land. It would be perfect for my garden. What, what can I do? You know, he's saying, I'll pay you the greatest fee, whatever you think um, is worth that land. I'll pay it. You know, I'll give you a better vineyard, a better piece of land, but this is just what I want. I really want this piece of land. And basically the guy says, sorry, tough luck. I'm not giving you my father's inheritance. I won't do it. Um, and Ahab reacts not exactly like a man, um, but rather he goes home. He lies in bed. He stops eating. It says that he was sullen. And my image of this is that he went home and he cried like a little girl in his bed. And then Jezebel she makes her way on the scene, and, you know, you can imagine this girl who is extremely, extremely controlling. Now, husbands, I don't want to see you out there nudging your wives at this point in the story. It's not cool. But Jezebel was this woman who always needed to take control of things. And so she comes into this room where Ahab's laying, and she says, why do you look so sullen? And it totally belittles him with her words. And he explains, you know, he said, I went to go talk about getting this vineyard. And he said, no. And she said, well, you have all authority over Israel. She said, I'll get you that vineyard. And the story goes on. And what happens is that guy ended up getting stoned and killed. And she does something really shady and convinces Ahab to go try to take the land. And it is extremely displeasing to God. Um, so if I've done a bad job at telling you this story. I have a couple images that might help solidify the point I'm trying to make in telling this story. So can we get the first one up there? <laughs> this is an image of a guy that just, that's just too much. <laughs> Do you agree? Just too much. Do we have another one? Go to the next one. Another image of a guy that's just too much. Just like Jezebel, she went too far. She took too much control. Do we have the next image? This is a guy that did too little. Ugh. Too soon? Too soon? Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that's Peyton Manning Super Bowl, if you guys don't know. It's just too little. Like Ahab, he did nothing. In our last slide, this one is a double whammy because, first off, it's a girl dressed up like an elf to play video games. So not only is she literally taking control, but she went to the extreme because she's dressed up with purple hair. And what we can conclude from those pictures, hopefully, and the text is this, that 
Ahab and Jezebel both show us what not to do in a relationship. When we look at the Bible for what's biblical on relationships and on marriage, we see very clearly that there's two specific roles, one for the husband and one for the wife. And the role of the husband in Ephesians is this, to love his wife like Christ loved the church. The role of the wife is to be submissive to the husband. And I know that husbands love to take that out of context and say, you're supposed to be submissive to me and wives will do the same. They say you're supposed to lead the household and you're supposed to be the man and you're supposed to be the provider and so on and so on. But the fact of the matter is, biblical marriage is a team effort. Biblical marriage is something that takes both people doing what God has called them to do. So I'm going to start tonight by saying what I feel biblically is what men are called and how they're called to lead in a marriage. And I know that it might sound um, weird hearing a single kid preach about marriage, um, but if you're a man who's married, please don't stop listening because I'm preaching this. I'm not preaching what I think or what I know from experience, but I am preaching what I feel like God's convicted me of and what I feel to be biblical truth. And if it is biblical truth, then I know it's going to be good, and I know it'll bring glory to Him. So I, I believe that there are three P's of ways that men are called to lead. The first one is I believe men are called to lead by providing. And I think that that providing can be split into two categories. I think that men are called to lead to provide physically, um, you know, clothing, shelter, um, and all those kind of ways. And when I say that, I'm not saying that the woman can't be a, a breadwinner for the home or that a single mom can't be a provider for her family and her kids because I see it every day. And those women, I believe, are honoring God by stepping up and doing a role that they technically, biblically, weren't meant to do. Um, but God sees that and he honors that. But spiritually, I think that we're meant to provide as men by being examples of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 through 27 says things like, that might be sanctuary and having her cleansed by the washing of the water with the word. And it's talking about Christ in the church in this context. So it's talking about this cleansing and um, giving the word to the, his bride, which is the church, so that it might be presentable to him someday. And likewise, it's an illustration of marriage, um, of how we're supposed to be leading them spiritually and showing them that image of Christ and what that looks like and what a Christian walk in life should be. The second point is protecting. Um, I believe that if you're a single girl out there, or guy, I'm speaking to you now, not the married couple so much so, but I believe that you should guard your heart above all else. Um, it talks about it in scripture, but when you're married, it's especially important because the two have become one. Uh, scripture says that when you join in that holy matrimony, that you become one flesh. So husbands, that heart that it's talking about guarding is not just your own anymore. It's your wife's. And what does that look like to protect to protect and guard someone's heart. Well, I come to this image in my head because I always see things and sometimes they're pretty crazy. Um, but this one I think is a good illustration. Um, if you could imagine a queen in a castle and when you imagine that, what do you see around there? You see a drawbridge or a moat or guards with weapons. And I think, how does that translate? You know, how, how does that translate to marriage and to the relationships that we have? Well, what's a prayer that you say to your kids at nighttime? You pray over them and you say, Lord, please um, have a hedge of protection around my children. You know, you, it doesn't have to be to a child. It can be to a parent or to a friend. 
Um, but we pray that prayer, and I think that's what the moat is, you know? When we have this image of this castle and protecting our queen, I think the moat is prayer because it's so important. And I think sometimes we forget what power it holds. Um, I don't know about you, but how long has it been since you prayed for your uh, spouse? Can you remember? And how long has it been since you guys have prayed together for each other, for your family? Um, it's extremely important to protect all of the things that God has for that relationship. Also, when I think of the guards, they're not unarmed. They have a full suit of armor on. They have weapons drawn. And we can do the same thing in our lives as husbands. In Scripture, it talks about, in the beginning was the Word, and God was with the Word, and He was the Word, which sounds really confusing. Um, but the Word, that the Word text is translated to two different things. The first thing that it's translated to is logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. And the other thing that it's translated to is ramos. And logos is the inspired word of God. So that's the Bible, the scripture. And the ramos, that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, leading by his Holy Spirit, uses the living logos, or logos, to fight spiritual warfare. And I think when we think about this in context, we have to think about the Ramos and the Logos. How do we fight and protect our families? How do we fight and protect our wives? Well, by learning the word, by knowing biblical truth, by being able to go to our wives who are struggling with something, um, whether it be uh, pain or guilt or anything, and say, this is where it's in scripturally, how God handles that situation. Being able to back our words up with biblical text and truth. The third point, and I think it kind of goes along with that protecting and knowing the word, is pastoring. Ephesians 6, chapter 4, or verse 4, sorry, says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the disciple, sorry, but bring them up in the disciple and, in, and instruction of the word. And I think that's saying to me when I hear that. I think it's saying, teach your kids what worship is, what true worship is, not what going to church and sitting on a Sunday morning is, but what worship is and what it means, how you can worship by tithes and offerings and why we give money to people. Um, it's about teaching your children about Bible studies or your wives the importance of going to church. And it's not just being these absentee husbands or fathers that are out of the picture but it's these men that are stepping up and that are showing up on church on Sunday mornings, that are praying with their kids before they go to bed, that are praying with their wives. Because studies have shown that time and time again in this generation, we see mothers bringing their children to church while the father is either at work or at home. And the fact of the matter is, what that's leading to is teenage men who are leaving the church because it's looked upon as this unmanly thing to do. And it's this enigma that's completely backwards. It's not biblical, and it's the exact opposite. The men are sh should be the ones that are stepping up into leadership roles in the church. The men are the ones that should be grabbing a hold of Scripture and taking heart. It's so backwards, and it's so wrong. Now, while I've talked about all those three things that men are led to do, I want you to know that I'm not a chauvinist. I don't believe that men are better or more superior or more worthy than women. In fact, I hold true to the fact of 1 Peter 3, verse 7, that says that we're joint heirs with Christ. And I believe that women bring just as much glory to God as men can. Husbands, wives, single women, single men. 
but I think that God's called us all to certain purposes. And I just want to tonight wrap up with one main truth, and it's this. In order to lead a godly relationship, you must be led by God through relationship with him. It's period. It's that simple. It's the whole context of what we were just talking about, of what the scripture holds. You can't lead anyone anywhere without being led yourself. And the fact of the matter is, whether you're a husband, whether you're a boyfriend, you're being led and you're being pulled by something. And the result is, the girl that you're in a relationship with, or your wife, is following suit behind that. So you can be led by God and lead her into righteousness and the right things. Or you can be led by the world, by selfishness, by your job, by pride, and lead her into a world of destruction and pain and hurt. So tonight as we close, I just want to challenge people in the room tonight. I'd like to challenge the married couples to pray for each other. And it doesn't have to be tonight. It doesn't have to be in this room. But why not? Why not take the time right now to say, God, we need you to be with us, to strengthen us, and to draw us close to you. Why not now? Why not now can you not come down and get on your knees before God and say, be that glue, Lord, that holds us together? Because marriage is a three-strand cord that's not easily broken. God is the center of marriage. And so you can't do it without him. So I challenge you, married couples, to pray for yourselves and to pray for your families. If you're a single guy in the room tonight, I just want to challenge you to pray for yourself. Pray that you might become a godly man that the Bible talks about you being to lead your wife, to become a man that can provide and can protect and can pastor and looks like Christ. You know, I always have these younger guys coming up to me and saying, you know, why don't girls like me? Why do girls always go for the bad guys? And the fact of the matter is they go for the bad guys because they have confidence and they know who they are. And guys, until you decide who you want to be and who you want to identify with, you're never going to have that confidence that they're looking for. You're getting pulled this way with the world and this way with God and this way with the world. And it's so wayward that no girl is ever going to truly look at you as a husband. And if you can't do it in a dating context, you can't do it in a marriage. So pray for yourself that you might be able to be strengthened and just do it. It's time for you to man up. As I say that, I'm saying it to myself too. Don't hear me saying that I'm better than you or anything like that because I have to tell myself that consistently. You know? Man up and be the man that God has called me to be. Single women in the room, I just want to tell you and encourage you to pray for yourself tonight that God would strengthen you and protect your heart. I pray for you that you'll begin preparing to be the kind of woman that should be with a godly man and that you're looking for those things. Maybe tonight you're in a relationship that's not godly and you know that. It's not equally yoked. Maybe he's being led by something that you don't want to be led by anymore and you have to end that relationship. Come down here and pray that God would strengthen you to do so. For both of those single people, we have the opportunities, one of the coolest things ever because of God. We can show our love for our spouse right now, even if we don't know who they are, because we can pray for them. They're real people going through the same things that we're going through right now. 
They go through hurt. They go through trial. They go through hardship. And we can come to this altar and pray to God for them that he would uplift them and strengthen them. Talk about a love that's starting off on the right foot. I don't know what it is for you tonight, but I just challenge you to act. Don't not respond. Don't not do something. Because if you choose to not do something, you're no different than Ahab. You're just apathetic and you're lying down in bed sullen and that's not what glorifies God. You see, the end of that story, the end of that text that I tried to tell you at the beginning was an image of God extremely displeased with Ahab. Don't let that be you. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for every person in this room. God, I just thank you for the ability to come up here and to talk. And God, I just thank you for your grace and your spirit that no matter how bad this message was, that you will use it for your purpose and your glory. God, I just pray that you'll move hearts tonight, that you'll encourage people to move in the right direction, to, to begin being led by you, for men to man up and for women to begin encouraging and loving and supporting their, wife, their husbands. Lord, I just pray that we will fall into that position that you have for each one of us. And I pray that we will do it tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as Chris sings, um, we're gonna do three things. Um, obviously, like I said, the altar's open and I would really encourage you to come down here and get with God, um, with your spouse or by yourself. If you wanna pray with somebody, I'm gonna be down in the front. You can pray with me. Um, but also at this time, we have buckets down here, a way of offering um, what we have, just giving back to God what he already has blessed us with. And also we have communion to remember what Christ did for us on the cross when he bled and died and offered us the ability to know what true love really is. He showed it to us when he hung on a cross. He showed us that love is not a feeling because feelings are wayward. Feelings are fickle. But love is a choice. It's a commitment. And when it's a covenant with God, it stands forever. So I pray right now that you would respond however God's leading you to do so. Thanks, Blake. Would you guys stand and sing? You can feel free to uh, come forward and respond. Worthy is the